And that's the problem is that so oftentimes it's not until it gets really, really bad that we actually reach out and get help. My name is Matt Zerker. I'm the founder and CEO of Tether, a men's peer support community, and you're listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Today we're bringing you a special interview that's related to our series that we've been doing called The Talk, but somewhat separate. We are thrilled to be joined by the founder of Tether, the peer-to-peer support app for men addressing mental health, Matt Zerker. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you, Zach and Dakota, for having me today. I really appreciate it. it it's honestly uh, such a pleasure. Um, Dakota, I know, was when he had uh, sort of set this up, he was familiar with the content that uh, your team does. And with the app, I, I hadn't uh, come across it before and was just blown yeah. away with everything I've seen. And I've, I've messed around with the app a bit right now. But no one knows about this better than you. This is your this is your hard work. This is your team's labor that's created this this platform. So for those listening who may not be familiar or who might have heard about it but not don't have the the most clear idea, what is Tether? Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you uh, allowing me to talk about our platform on this and uh, really get the word out to uh, to more uh, to more guys. Right? I mean. Uh, Tether at its core is uh, we are a peer-enabled mental health and well-being platform where men are encouraged to share openly. Uh, we get you to connect with other guys based on shared experience. Uh, and we really believe that our community is a bunch of guys that get it, right, and can have that that talk as you talk about. And what we do is we provide peer-enabled programming uh, to help men find more purpose uh, and meaning in their lives. And, and where this came from uh, was my own personal journey uh, and, and battle with mental health. Uh, you know, I grew up in a you know really good home here in Toronto. Uh, I was bullied a lot as a kid, so I always kind of felt like I was on the outside. And I I really grew up with this. I I call it a hole that I was always trying to fill inside of me. I never felt like I measured up. I never felt like I was enough as a person. And as a result, I I would seek out behaviors or people or things uh, that would fill that gap within me. And so when I was a younger kid, like, uh, you know, let's say 12, 13, 14 years old, uh, it was about food. I would try and eat as much as I could. Uh, Definitely had an eating disorder, uh, you know, would binge and then purge as well. Uh, That was something that was a part of my story. Again, very literally trying to fill that hole inside of me when I got to high school, uh, you know, it was partying, it was drugs, it was alcohol, all of that kind of stuff. University, my first two years at Western, uh, you know, I was a bit of a disaster. Um, you know, there were some great times, but like, you know, if I if I go back and I actually look at why I was doing the things that I was doing at that time, again, it was about validation. It was about finding something that would make me feel better about myself as opposed to generating that within myself. When I got away from Western uh, and, you know, I, I transferred from Western to, to U of T after, you know, two years where I didn't get a lot done, but I definitely had a lot of experiences. Uh, and, and I decided that I wanted to throw myself into achievement and doing. Uh, and so I ended up graduating the top of my class from U of T. Uh, I started my CFA, my Chartered Financial Analyst designation while I was in university. So I was doing double duty there. Uh, and when I got out of school, I uh, went into the hedge fund industry and became a portfolio manager by the time I was 27. So on the outside, everything looked good. Uh, you know, I was making six figures. I uh, I, I own my own home. 
all of these things. I was wearing a really nice suit to work every single day. Now I've just, you know, I've got zanies and a, and a sweater and a backwards hat on and I feel way more comfortable uh, than I have ever in my life. But all of it was a show, right? It was all like, you know, what can I put on the outside? What can I do? What can you see me doing so that I can feel like you're validating me and I feel okay about myself? And then the real turning point for me personally was in 2018. Again, you know, I was I was working a job in finance, you know, had all the things on the outside. Uh, but still, on the inside for me, I was like, feeling deeply empty. And I would go home, I would try and numb those feelings through, you know, a whole bunch of different means. Um, and then, you know, something happened uh, in my life, uh, where I couldn't, I suddenly I couldn't run from it anymore. And in 2018, uh, I lived in this townhouse complex here in Toronto, and my balcony, uh, so the way it was, there was like a little alleyway uh, between myself and this other building. So there's two buildings uh, face to face. Um, and on the balcony across from me lived a guy who I didn't know. Uh, but I was outdoors one day on my balcony having a beer. Um, and there was another guy in the darkness. It was just a silhouette. Um, and I hear from like across the way come this call. And it's like, hey, man, who the fuck are you? Um, and that was the beginning of an incredible friendship. Uh, we, we just started chatting across the way on balconies. Uh, it was a brand new townhouse complex. So like, you know, they didn't have a TV. I had a TV and I had cable already set up. So I invited them over, uh, him and his roommate to watch the, I think it was the Raptors game was on that night. So came over, had a few beers, got to like know each other a little bit. Uh, and very quickly, this guy became one of my, my closest friends. We both worked downtown. So we took the train together in the morning. Sometimes we would take the train together uh, back at night. And, and he was one of those guys who, uh, you know, you could talk to about everything. We, we had a very similar childhood, a lot of bullying. You know, we, we both dealt with depression and anxiety. I've dealt with mental health issues my entire life, in addition uh, to the other things that I mentioned. And uh, in 2018, uh, he developed a pneumonia uh, in late 2017, and it just it kind of wouldn't go away. Uh, and then one day he started to get very sick. And his roommate at the time was like, OK, we got to get you to the hospital. Ambulances came uh, to get him uh, on the gurney because he was like vomiting into a bathtub from what I now know uh, and what it was told to me. Uh, and unfortunately, the gurneys couldn't be couldn't be taken up the stairs because the, the staircase was too narrow. And so they had to walk him out. Um, and as he was taking his like uh, uh, the final step to get onto the gurney, he dropped uh, to the ground and, and never got up. And he passed away uh, right on the front steps uh, of that building. And I was actually taking a, a nap at the time in my apartment. And I woke up and I just I, there was this feeling that like something was deeply wrong. And I didn't know what it was until I got a call later from one of our buddies telling me that yeah, that Christian had died. And I think when those types of things happen in your life, when you lose somebody at a very young age, you can kind of go one of two ways, right? You can kind of go to this, uh, I'm going to live every day like it's my last, or you can kind of go down this road of what does it all mean? And I definitely went down the what does it all mean route. Uh, I was, you know, suicidally depressed. I couldn't get out of bed for a period of time. I was so anxious that like I, I basically got up to drink a little bit of water, eat a little bit of food, smoke a few cigarettes, and then I would go right back to bed. And that was my life for a long time. I ended up having to go on mental health leave from work. I couldn't function at the office. Um, and, and it was a really, 
I didn't want to like, I didn't want to die, but I also didn't want to live. And that was kind of the state that I was living in for a long period of time. And what really shifted for me was a friend of mine was like, I'm going to actually go join this men's group. And I, I tried therapy, medication, experimental treatments. I tried everything at this point. Um, and he's like, why don't you join this men's group with me? Uh, and I sat down, I was like, okay, fine. You know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I've tried everything else. Uh, and I sat down in this men's group and I, I just said to the guys in this room, it's like, I'm not, I'm not okay. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm not okay. Uh, I don't want to be here anymore, but I don't want to go. Um, I feel like a shell of myself. I don't feel like a man in any way. I feel like I have nothing to offer this world. And instead of them saying to me, you know, like, oh, well, why don't you try some exercise or change your diet or, you know, whatever. They, they just sort of held space for me. And it was a really powerful experience being in this space where it was just this non-judgmental um, support, right? And it's like, I could just talk and they didn't try, they just listened, right? And at the end of it, they said, you know, we'd love for you to come back. You know, we feel like you have a lot to offer this group. And I kept going to that. And I don't know why I kept going because, you know, it wasn't like everything was fixed after that first meeting, but there was something that shifted inside of me. And I ended up going on a retreat because I wanted to go deeper into the work um, uh, in April of 2019. And again, I had one of these really overwhelmingly powerful transformational experiences on this retreat. And uh, I, I left that retreat on a Monday morning. I drove back from Massachusetts to Toronto, sat down at my desk uh, at work because I had returned to work by this point uh, on the Tuesday. And I just sat down at my desk and I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This isn't, I'm not meant to be in this place. Uh, and uh, I, I came in on the Wednesday and ended up quitting my job. Uh, and that was the, I had no back, you know, I had no, I was fortunate that I could make that decision without any backup plan. I had savings, you know, uh, my parents, you know, could support me if things got really bad. So a lot of people don't have that ability and that, um, that, that, that safety net, but I was able to take that leap and I, I ended up going away uh, and, and just sort of figuring out what was going on with me. And again, very fortunate that I was able to do that from my position. Uh, and as I started to go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, I realized that what I was feeling, this lack of purpose and meaning in my life, uh, this feeling like, uh, you know, one of my buddies says, it's like, life is kind of like a hockey interview, right? Where you're saying a whole bunch of things, but you're saying nothing at the same time, right? And that was kind of the way that it felt. I never felt like people really understood me. Um, and I was looking for people where it didn't feel like a hockey interview anymore, a football interview, whatever you want to call it. You know what it is. It's the guy says, you know, we, we gave it 110%. We mucked it up in the corners. Everything was really good. Uh, you know, we're going to go back in, enjoy the victory, and then on to the next one. You're just like kind of like, okay, fine. Thank you. Everyone has said that, you know, for the history of hockey interviews. And it just, everything felt fake. I, it, it, everything felt unreal to me. And, and I realized that there was this, like, men had been deeply, deeply socialized to put up that wall, right? We have been told from a very young age, whether it was explicitly or through movies or sport, whatever it was, we've been told from a very young age that we're not supposed to show our feelings. We're not supposed to struggle. Uh, we're not supposed to be vulnerable and reach out to each other. 
Um, and, and I realized in having those relationships with these guys, like I was actually able to break down those walls and experience authentic connection for the first time in my life. And I realized that this was something that was really pervasive across all of society. No, like nobody was dealing with the problem and, and men's mental health specifically was a huge issue to the point where 77% of men were dealing with some kind of stress, anxiety, or depression. And yet 40% of men were saying that it would take thoughts of suicide or self harm in order to reach out and get any help. And that's the problem is that so oftentimes it's not until it gets really, really bad that we actually reach out and get help. And the problem is that most men, when they do reach out and get help or, or, or the way that they cope with this is through drugs, alcohol, and unfortunately suicide. And 75% of suicides uh, right now are committed by men. Um, and I think it's really locked in this, um, uh, it's really locked in this, um, in this sort of archetype, right? Where it's like, we've been told that we we're not supposed to struggle, right? They're, we're supposed to be superhuman in some ways. And so really what the platform is there for is to normalize struggle. It's to normalize deep and authentic connections between men uh, so that we can have those conversations that go by, you know, beyond surface level. And that's, that's really what we're trying to build with Tether. Um, well, well, first of all, thank you so much for telling us not only the full story, but being so open and honest about it. Um, I really appreciate that. Obviously, Zach and I have had, I think, 17 conversations now, and it's not always, you know, the most open and honest. I think there's a lot of importance to that. And you were talking about, you know, how you think you said 44% of males said they're not going to reach out until they kind of get to that point. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I went through something similar to, to your story back in 2012. And I didn't deal with it at all. And I, I got to the point when in 2016 is when I reached out for help. And I was definitely one of the 44% there. Um, so first of all, I, I love I love everything you talked about, everything you're doing. Um, so I kind of have um, two questions. Um, since obviously, it's kind of related to football. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the male to male, you know, talking about mental health, can you just speak a little bit more on the importance of that? Um, just because it's, mm -hmm. it's sort of what you what I've, I've looked at the app a little bit, it's sort of kind of like a, a congested locker room in a sense where it is you know a bunch yeah. of guys kind of having an open conversation the importance of that and then also when you kind of first started up what were the difficulties of getting kind of a safe space on the internet because it is such a likely mm -hmm. volatile place i mean i'm on twitter a lot and i'm sure you know it's a, a very very dangerous place yeah. especially when it comes to opening up and being honest about it yourself yeah, uh, there's a couple of things there. So one of the things that we've discovered, and and actually, like, there's a lot of things about sports that, and like, especially, you know, especially football and being in that locker room. Like, I grew up playing hockey. I grew up playing baseball. Um, interestingly enough, I started to go to more words like individual sports, like golf, and I played like competitive golf for uh, a while when I was younger. Uh, and that was kind of my thing. I think I liked being alone on the on the course. But again, it was also I didn't feel like I fit in. So locker room environments were like kind of like, I, you know, I don't want to be in there. But what I do know, and this is also from like being on these experiences and these retreats, is being in that intense environment of just men and having that masculine energy around you is profoundly healing and cathartic. The problem with locker rooms and the problem with the environment is that it has all of the makings of what is needed in order for that, you know, in order for guys to really connect and bond with each other. It also has that high intensity emotional experience of like, you're going to war together. And that's something that's very primal and innate 
within guys is like this, you know, this, like we're, we're on a team, we're, we're working towards a common goal, right? There's a fight and we're unifying together to go in that direction. Obviously the best teams are the ones that trust each other the most. The problem is, is like, you still have this baked in stereotype at the top where it's like, we're not supposed to actually talk about anything that's real. And then struggle in some ways is equated with weakness as opposed to strength. And that's what I think a lot of teams are having problems with right now. And uh, Pete Carroll of the Seattle Seahawks is actually a really great example. Uh, and, and they're a great example of an organization that has actually fostered a positive and open attitude towards vulnerability and open sharing. And it's very much a part of the culture that Pete Carroll has created. Um, and and like, I don't know about you, but like when it was like, you know, the, the Legion of Boom, like nobody wanted to like run across the middle of that defense, right? And like how well they work together as a unit when you had Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas, right? They seem to work as like a singular unit all together, right? And, and then you had Bobby Wagner in the middle and like, you know what I mean? It was just such a cohesive unit. And I think it like in so many ways, you can't build that without trusting the other people. And what's the quickest way to trust? It's by being open and honest and vulnerable with the guys around you. If you can open up and you can actually say to that person, like, listen, man, this is what I'm going through. And he can look you in the eye and says, I don't think any less of you for what you just told me. And I'm still here for you. That actually gives you that extra inch that actually that that extra little bit that you can't like that can't be drawn up in a playbook that can't be coached right it's it's a level of trust that is can only be built with vulnerability so i think sports has a really profound uh, uh opportunity to be able to create that culture within locker rooms and and, and but the problem is is we, we just can't get past that point of if i express that i'm struggling uh, then I'm going to be viewed as weak. And that's changing right now. We're starting to see guys like DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, Michael Phelps. Uh, we're seeing like, you know, Dak, Dak Prescott uh, coming out uh, and being super vulnerable after his brother committed suicide very early on in COVID and him not him saying that he didn't really feel capable of leading the Cowboys. And there was a whole thing around that. But like you can see how people, you know, really rallied around that. And I think, you know, we want our superheroes to actually be vulnerable, right? If if Superman, you know, if Superman didn't have kryptonite, it would be boring, right? Like if there wasn't something that could take the guy down, we just wouldn't be interested in it because we would know what the end of the story is. Like the the power of the story is in the struggle, right? And so if we can really encourage you know, more guys. And I think that this is, this is on coaches, this is on university administrations, but it's really on the guys in the locker room to step up and say, yeah, no, I really do want to be able to trust. And then it's the coaches actually need to come in and say, okay, how can we foster that and create uh, a, 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 like a, a room of safety? And so this Lynn, I'll segue that into the question that you guys had about creating a safe space on the internet with so much crap that's out there, especially on, you know, on Facebook and Twitter and all of these different places. And you're right, it is a huge challenge. First of all, it starts with effective modeling behavior, right? And so this is where I get into the example that needs to be set by coaches and players and leaders, right? It's if the top guys, the top dogs, the people that are leading the thing are actually, you know, showing that that positive open attitude towards vulnerability and struggle that's the first step right so because that signals to the other guys that it's okay i'm gonna so there has to be a first guy through the door so to speak 
right? And and that takes courage, right? It takes courage to be the first guy through the door and to say, this is how we show up. This is how we share. This is how we talk. And this is how we support each other. So very much one of the things I think we've done very well is myself and, you know, my co-founders have modeled that attitude in in the community, right? And so when guy, like we are actively involved every single day, I respond to many, many, many posts a day. Sometimes I take a few days off uh, because I got some other stuff going on, but like I, I try and be as active in the community and supporting guys and showing the other men how we support people in our community. Also, we have very clear guidelines, right? You know, no bullying, no racism, no sexism, uh, you know, no, no anti-gay language or anti-trans language. Uh, all of that is unacceptable and will immediately get you booted from the community, right? So having very clear guidelines of, this is okay, this is not okay, and this is how we show up, right? So when that happens, what ends up happening very naturally, and we're very fortunate, we haven't had, uh, we haven't had anyone report another guy for being like, you know, shitty on the app. Like the reports that we've got is like, I'm genuinely concerned that this person might hurt themselves, right? And so we've had to respond to those types of things. But like, to me, that comes from like a deep place of caring. Right. And not not necessarily, um, you know, uh, it, it's it, it's actually a sign of the strength and the healthiness of the community and uh, not you know the sign of any moderation, quote unquote, that's actually needed. So a lot of the moderation has taken care of itself in our community because of the example uh, that the men in our community set for each other and the way that they show up for each other. So that's a big part of it. Um, and, and then I think the other part of building a healthy community online, again, it comes back to values, right? And I mentioned Pete Carroll before, but he like by, it's like by saying what you are, you also say what you are not, right? And it creates expectations, right? And it creates guidelines and it creates a very clear path of this is what we do, this is what we don't do. And I think that's really important is clarity of purpose and clarity of principle is super important when it comes to building any kind of a community, but especially a community where you're basically telling guys to hop in and share about their deepest and darkest secrets and saying, all right, guys, go, go, go help each other. Right. And I'm not going to be there for, and I'm not able to be there for everyone. So like, how does that, how do you create a community that ripples through because one man can't be there for everyone at every moment at all times. So it has to be a culture. Um, so I think those are kind of the the two biggest things there. Um, and then, you know, early days, like what was a, you know, what was a struggle? Everything, uh, you know, figuring out how to develop software, think, figuring out how to find people that wanted to be in the community. We started with a, a private Facebook group that was like essentially our beta for it. Uh, everything along the way has, you know, it, but it's like, it's one of those things, right? It's like, it's so much more meaningful because it was so difficult. Right. It's so much more meaningful because you had to hop over barriers. It's so much more meaningful uh, because you got punched in the face a bunch of times along the way. And I think, you know, a lot of coaches talk about resiliency, right? Like building resiliency as a team. And it's like you can't build resiliency unless you get hit in the mouth a couple of times. Right. Like you like you you don't like, I think, and I think that there's, there's, there's like, like a healthy fear, right? Like when you run across the middle as a receiver for the first time and you get smacked in the mouth, right? You're a lot more careful about going over the middle, right? But the power and the strength is in being like, yeah, I've gotten hit going over the middle before I'm going to go there again, but I'm going to do it in a way where I know what's coming. And so you improve, you, you sharpen as you do that more and more. So I would say for us, right. It's like, 
you, there, there's there's nothing like reps, right? And and reps mean that you're going to get hit. Reps mean that you're going to get hit in the mouth a couple of times, and that's okay, right? Um, and 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 I think it's important along the way to sort of honor what's coming up for you, honor the feelings that are are, are coming up for you. And and again, this is the thing. It's like if somebody gets hit going over the middle and then is afraid to go over the middle again, if he's just holding that in and there isn't a culture where you can actually share about that kind of stuff, he's not, he's not going to go over the middle again. Do you know what I mean? Or he's going to do so in a way where timing is off. He's timid, whatever. But if he's able to actually go to the other guys and the coaches and say, listen, like I got my bell rung last time and I'm really terrified about going over the middle and it's not met with, well, just like man up, get out there, stop complaining. Instead is met with some kind of like, you know, appreciation be like, yeah, man, it's fucking scary to go over the middle. Like, you know, it hurts to get hit like that. Right. And, and if he feels like understood and seen, um, you know, like that, like that will resolve a lot of things in him. And he'll be like, you know what? They've taken care of me. You know what? I think I can go do it again. I can give it another shot. Right. And, and that, that like, but if he's constantly afraid of, of doing that thing, right. And getting over that hump, you're never, you're just like, you're never going to get to that. You're never going to get to that next level. So uh, I think, I think I answered all your questions there, but um, yeah, that I'll, I'll, I'll cut it off there for a second. No, you, you definitely answered it. You also brought back uh, some traumatic memories of running a slant <laughs> and my, my first, my first concussion in football. So thanks right, for that yeah. one. Thanks for that one. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna hand it off Let's Zach take now. a moment for that. <laughs> Zach, go ahead. Well, you know, Matt, you mentioned so much great stuff in that. And one of the things that came to mind for me talking about setting the example and kind of creating a space where, as you said, one person, one man can't, can't do it all. But if, if you can make an impact in my life, then I can make an impact in the circle of people yeah. I know. And then one, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing that, uh, as someone who's, you know, I had difficulty in my life, just understanding my own sort of emotional, you know, uh, my own, just in my own emotions. A lot of times it comes down to not a not a, a fear per se of I don't want to share something, but perhaps mm. a lack of an emotional vocabulary where mm. and if it's been in past relationships or something along those nature of, oh, what's wrong? It's like the defaults. Well, nothing. And it's not because there might not be something, but it's sometimes hard to articulate. And mm-hmm. a lot of that probably has to do with, you mentioned the cultural piece of it as well. If these aren't things that we're kind of sure. raised with. I was joking with a friend where my understanding of colors is about on par with my uh, um, like emotional vocabulary. It's like, yeah, you got red, blue, green, orange. Yeah. You got happy, sad, angry, anxious. But there's so much more depth to that. And yeah. I, I feel like with a lot of things, the more you know about something, the more you can well, the more you know, the more you know. Um, and so I guess part of my question is about, and maybe this isn't the name of your platform, but I think mm. such a big piece of this is that educational, emotional vocabulary, being able to not just feel okay to talk about these things, but also when push comes to shove, it's like, well, what is it I'm feeling? Does that seem, does that resonate with some of the stuff that you've seen from the the, the men on the platform or just research that you've done, that kind of uh, emotional intelligence? Or is it is it more just about... I, I know what's going on. I just don't want to share it. It's both. Um, so, I mean, there's a there's a, a disorder, quote unquote, I hate to call it a disorder. There's a, a, I guess, a condition called alexithemia, 
which is basically, you know, it's like, it's, it's an un- inability to sort of label and, and know what you are feeling, right? And men deal with that at a significantly higher incidence than women do. Um, and a lot of that is socialization. At a very young age, we are told, uh, you know, that we should like suck it up and whatever. And so we're actually cut off from our emotions, right? In a very real way. And we're also not given an emotional vocabulary to be able to express ourselves. And there's the joke that there's three, like men have three emotions, like happy, sad, and horny, right? Those are the three emotions for guys. Um, And and it's funny because it's like, sadly, it's kind of true, right? And And so a big part of that, I think, is first, I mean, the way that we deal with that on the application is we actually have you pick an emotion before you share. So we, we try and help you identify what it is that you are feeling with a, a wheel of different types of emotions that you could be going through. We allow you to select that post-it. Uh, and then so that's a big part of our process. But the other part of it is we are so actively socialized away from feeling our emotions that when we actually uh, are in a situation where we feel like we should Uh, feel our emotions it's terrifying to us because it's completely uncharted territory and it should be terrifying because you've never done it before right it's the same thing with like you know the first time like you're you're doing anything like your adrenaline's up your fear your fight or flight response is like super activated and you're just like "Ah, i don't know how i'm going to do this and then you jump right and then all of a sudden it works out okay uh and then you're like all right well now and then your brain takes a mental note of that it's like oh okay when i did this it turned out okay i can do that again right so again it's about building repetitions but like i think you know it's like you can't run anything complex in football before you know how to run the basics right like you you shouldn't start be running trick plays before you actually just know how to run the ball up the middle you know what i mean like you do that well you know you, you you teach guys how to block this is how you block this is how you run this play and then you do that over and over and over again uh, until you get really good at it. And I think for a lot of men, one of the big keys is like, just start by identifying the basics. Like you don't have to become like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, fully aware of everything. And that takes a long time, right? It takes reps, but like actually just when you are feeling something and you'll know when something's going on, your body will tell you it's tightness in the chest, it's tightness in your brain. You feel like your thoughts are swirling. There's like a vibration or an energy that's uncomfortable and it's going through your body. That is your body telling you that something is wrong. Emotions actually don't occur in the brain. They occur in the body. It's actually a physiological response that signals something to the brain that our brain then interprets based on the story that we've been telling ourselves for years and years and years. And then we interpret it as fear or anxiety or all of these different things. So the first thing that is like drop into the body, right? Start to notice the sensations that come up when you are feeling, when you are feeling ill at ease, when you're not feeling great, right? So start there, right? Just be like, oh shit, I'm, there's tightness in my chest. My brain is like, I'm swirling. Oh fuck. I think I'm feeling anxious. Right. And already there, what you've done is you've actually separated your egoic mind from your observational mind. Right. The ego is like the story and I'm not good enough. And it's this very automatic loopy kind of thing where you don't feel in control of what's going on. Right. Whereas the observing mind, it's like, oh, shit, I'm anxious. And even just being able to notice that you're anxious or notice that you're angry or notice that you're sad. Right. Taking a deep breath is a huge part of that. When you start to feel activated, 
um, you know, especially in your relationships with other people, taking a deep breath in through your nose and actually releasing it through your mouth and slowing the nervous system down is such a huge first step. Most people don't even get that far. We're just, you know, we're just prisoners to our, our own, you know, automatic processes that our brain and our bodies are creating for us. But by just slowing down and even just taking a breath in through the nose and releasing it out through the mouth and slowing the reaction time down. It's such a huge part of it. And this is actually, it's a big part of why a lot of guys are now meditating and doing mindfulness practices to get them prepared for sports, right? When you slow down the brain, you actually speed up, right? It's this weird sort of uh, thing where um, there's a saying, uh, there's a Navy SEAL saying, uh, and it's that uh, fast is slow uh, and smooth is fast. Right. So when you slow down the autonomic nervous system, you actually start to move slower, but smoothly. And that ends up being a quicker thing because you're not hijacked. Right. You're not kind of like all over the place and like, you know, squirrel. Right. Like that kind of thing. You want to slow your nervous system down. That brings that like kind of clear, rational mind online in a much more real way. And so what I would say is for guys is just like start to notice when you are having these physiological reactions when you're about to when you are like the the sooner you can recognize that you're getting angry is the sooner that you're actually not controlled by that anger the sooner that you recognize that you're feeling anxious is the sooner that you actually aren't controlled by that anxiety and what we're doing through that process is we're actually splitting the mind up from the egoic mind which just you know is like completely dominated by fear and anxiety and you know desire and want and need and all of that kind of stuff and we're separating that from an observational mind which is just looking in and basically being like holy shit like this is happening, right? And when you can kind of start to identify more with the thing that's actually just observing it, what you start to realize is that it's like you're actually not your thoughts. Um, and that is a weird process at the beginning. Um, and, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because I, I don't want to dissuade guys from just slowing down. But even just being able to slow the body and the nervous system down and observe what is going on for you and being like, oh, I'm feeling anxious or angry or sad. Um, and, and the key thing here is don't try and change it, right? Don't try and change the fact that you're like, and, and this is like, you know, especially true with like emotions that we would consider negative, right? Quote unquote negative. I don't believe that there's any positive or negative emotions. There are only constructive or destructive reactions to the emotions that you are feeling. Right. And so when you are feeling stressed, anxious, sad, whatever it is, don't run from it. You know, don't run from it. Just be with it. Right. Acknowledge that you are feeling sad. Acknowledge that you are feeling anxious. And then if you can just tell yourself it's OK, it's all right to feel angry. like this is the thing is we're so afraid of our feelings we're so afraid of them because we're worried that if we're sad or anxious or depressed or whatever, that that indicates that there's something wrong with us. And there's nothing and like there's nothing there's so much wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with you. Right. That's what I'll that, that's what I'll say. The thing that's wrong is actually stuff that has been conditioned into you. Right. This 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 sense that it's not OK to feel. Right. But when you actually start the process of getting into feeling your emotions and dropping in and being super present with it and, and, and allowing those feelings to be there. What's interesting is like 
feelings can't go on forever, but our bodies and our brains are like, if I feel sad or anxious like this, I'm going to feel like this forever and I'm going to die. That's what our, our brains are telling us. That's what this lizard thing in the back of our head, our amygdala is like, if I feel like this forever, I'm going to die. And you're, it's actually impossible to feel like that forever. You are eventually going to have to go to sleep. Right. Your system will run out of energy. It's it's just not possible for that to sustain. And so what we start to notice is like we start to notice that we're feeling a certain way. The the feeling starts to peak a little bit. We reach an apex where we're like, this is this is unbearable. I can't deal with this anymore. Stay with it. Allow it to be there. And then what eventually happens is it starts to dissipate. Right. And the more times that we go through that process of feeling our feelings and letting the feeling resolve itself naturally the more we do that the more it gets ingrained into our brains that when i feel like this it's not going to be forever and so the the time gap that happens between the feeling actually happening and resolving itself starts to get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where you're able to just really process feelings really super quickly right and and it isn't something that affects you as much but again these are just simply repetitions right and not you know not doing something that actually then numbs you out from it or avoids it or whatever, being really with it and allowing it to be there, huge part of the process. You, there was, there's so much in there that I just, just set off so many different things in my mind. I just <laughs> infinitely curious about, um, but that's, that's awesome. And, you know, once again, just making the connection with sports, with football, as you said, it's like with anything on the gridiron or on the ice or whatever you're doing, it's repetition to make it something that's natural that you don't have to think about. That's just mm -hmm. part of the way that you are hardwired. Um, I mean, that was brilliant. Uh, Matt, uh, you have the app. What other resources uh, do you guys have? I know you have the website, a couple other things that you guys run. Just let folks know sort of the different things that uh, aside from just the app that you guys do to sort of uh, um, support men. Yeah. And uh, I apologize if I talk, I talk a little bit long sometimes. And so uh, I didn't mean to go on a huge long diatribe. I hope some of this resonated with guys that listen to this. And I, I hope, you know, there's a couple people out there who, who get some benefit and, you know, maybe just sort of get that permission to actually feel something. And I would say if you are struggling right now, uh, you know, therapy, you know, medication, uh, uh, you know, experimental treatments, uh, entheogenic medicines, like there's, there's so many things out there. There's breath work, there's energy work They're, like literally i've tried everything so it's like if the first thing doesn't work for you continue to try continue to sample there is something that is going to eventually click with you i mean cbd oil like this there's everything right now so like stay with it stick with it and, and like again building those reps and allowing yourself to feel a certain way i promise you feeling your feelings will not kill you uh, and one of the things that we always try and uh, you know impart especially to the members of our community uh, is that struggling doesn't make you any less of a man it makes you human Right. So a big part of this is us normalizing struggle together, modeling positive attitudes towards openness, vulnerability and sharing with each other and building deeply emotionally connected relationships with each other. It is OK. It is fine. You are allowed to love guys in your life and it can complete it can be completely non-sexual as well. Right. Like I have profound, deep love for so many men in my life. Um, and I and I feel so much more full as a man and so much 
you know, stronger because I have those deeply emotionally connected relationships. So first, I would just sort of say that in terms of Tether, uh, follow us on social media, on Instagram at Tether for Men, on Twitter at Tether for Men, uh, on Facebook, you can find us Tether for Men. Uh, you know, we're, we're all we're the same in all of those different places. You can download us. And this is what I would say uh, to any guy that's listening to this that doesn't know what the next step is. The first step is just downloading the app, right? You don't have to do anything. You don't have to post, you don't have to comment, you don't have to reply, you don't have to do shit. But just go in there, set up a profile, and just see what other guys are saying. Notice that there's other guys who are sharing openly about struggle and they're getting the support that they need. If that's all you do, if you just feel less alone by seeing that there are other guys out there that are going through the same thing, I feel like, you know, I feel like that is a win uh, for me, for Tether as a company, right? Like even that alone is just a huge, 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 huge first step. If you then feel like this is something that you want more of, and this was the big thing. It's like, I got that little taste in that first men's group meeting, and then I just wanted more of it. Um, and now, you know, now I'm foolish enough to actually be running a business around it. Um, but like, it was just that first little taste. It was that first little step. And and it, it builds on itself. It snowballs, right? Again, it's like culture, right? Like culture just builds and snowballs on itself, right? So the more that you start taking right action, the more you start moving in the direction uh, towards authenticity, towards vulnerability, towards open sharing. Yeah, like sometimes people drop off and sometimes people in your life aren't ready for that. But what I can tell you is that your experience will be so much more rich and profound when you start taking those steps. So download the app, we're available on the, uh, on the app store, we're available on Google Play. You can find us there. Follow us on social media. We produce a ton of content. Uh, we're actually launching a, a podcast network tonight at our uh, We Fuck With Feelings event. Uh, we have merchandise that you can buy. So we have hats. We have T-shirts. Uh, you know, uh, please, like, whatever it is. And, like, app, reach out. DM us on, on, on social media. You can, if you go into the app, you can actually, you know, chat with me, DM me directly there. Um, you'll get emails with my email in it. So like, I'm very, very accessible to the men in the community. Um, we are going to be launching a couple of really exciting things in the next little bit to make a much more immersive, uh, experience for men. Uh, but yeah, just join, join in, right. Just take a look around, you know, you don't have to say anything, but just take a peek, look behind the curtains. Uh, I promise you, it's not as scary as you think it's going to be. Um, and just see see what it's like for you. Just see what it's like and see if you feel called to share more. Um, but the relationships that you build on the platform, I can I can guarantee you are going to be uh, some of the most meaningful relationships if you give them a shot. Brilliant. And, you know, I know it was a little tongue in cheek when you said it, but if it was foolishness that drove you to start this company, we need yeah. more fools in this world doing stuff like this because uh, I absolutely appreciate everything you and your team are doing. And I appreciate you for joining Dakota and I today to uh, spread the word because obviously in the sport of football, this is something that is of the utmost importance. Uh, so, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Uh, all the best moving forward with Tether. Thank you so much. And thank you, Zach. Thank you, Dakota, for having me. Uh, you know, I know like there's so much more that we can do together in terms of spreading awareness. I really respect the fact that you guys uh, have decided, you know, to be brave enough to shine the spotlight and have the talk. I think it's such a great initiative. Uh, so, you know, looking forward to supporting you guys in whatever way we can. And, you know, 
I know there's 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 so much more that we can kind of do together. And you know, for all the you know for all the male like athletes that have been on this show that have been part of the talk that you know are thinking about opening up about this, you have a power beyond what you can imagine. And it really that that feeling inside of you that's telling you don't go there, don't listen to it. Go there. Uh, I can promise you there's a lot of great stuff on the other side of not listening to that fear. Brilliant. All right, Matt. All the best, eh? Thanks, guys.